I picked it up a little later in the chorus on the chorus, and it's it's the same song. Worshippers have been worshiping God in the same words, the same heart for years. Now, I'm going to talk about funerals. Start with that. How's um, You know, there's a lot of strange things said at funerals. You know, often it's, well, he was a good man, and, um, well, he's in a better place, and just kind of fuzzy things. You know, I sit there in a funeral sometimes, and all I think about is, was this guy saved or not? Um, we really get distracted on so many things, and we forget this is absolutely the most important thing. I've titled the sermon from a sign I saw in front of a church in, in Woodland. Now, don't let your first step into eternity be a rude awakening. That just stuck with me, and I just couldn't clear it. And so, I figured I'm not supposed to clear it. Um, don't let your first step into eternity be a rude awakening. I'm imagining that the first words that people say after, you know, they've, they've died and they've woken up at the, at the, on the other side, if you will, is either, oh, wow, it's beautiful, it's fantastic, or it's kind of a, uh-oh, um, it's not what I expected. Um, so, and too often families aren't even sure if their loved one was saved or not. Um, you know, ultimately, there are two kinds of people in the world. It's not a spectrum, you know, from this end to they're saved or they're not saved. It's a very binary thing. Um, it's not, God doesn't grade on a curve. Uh, there's one criteria, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about salvation. Uh, I've heard too many testimonies where people say, well, I kind of grew up in a church, and I never quite heard that. Um, it wouldn't have been this church. I'm, you know, I know in a lot of ways I'm preaching to the choir, but this is going to affect all of us. This is important. And uh, you know, we're all going to die. Statistically, uh, 10 out of 10 people die, uh, you know, unless there's a rapture. And I'm thinking, if there's a rapture this morning, what's that? Yes, I'd rather be raptured. If there's a rapture this morning before I'm done, my prayer is that this room would be empty. Everybody. Um, this is a difficult sermon to preach. It's a difficult one to listen to, maybe. And so, what do we do in those cases? We pray. So, let's go to the Lord. Lord, I just thank you for... I thank you for this church... I just thank you for salvation and the confidence you can give when we know we're on the right path. Lord, I, I pray for each one of us will hear what we need to hear this morning. Um, and I do want to lift up Dan in, in Spokane. I know he's preaching, and I pray that you will speak through him, Lord. And bring him home safely to us, Lord. We ask all of these things in your mighty name. Amen. You know, and when, I, when I'm doing this, listen to this 
as though this is for you. It is. Don't be thinking, well, I hope old Roger's listening this morning. Okay, none of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's like on airplanes. They tell you, you put on the oxygen mask first, then you go and help somebody else. Let's make sure we all have our oxygen masks on. That's what I want to talk about. Um, and also, I'm going to make every effort to avoid any, you know, any free will and election and, and those kind of things because I don't want anybody triggered and wandering off and losing focus. The focus is salvation this morning. Um, this is just too important to, uh, to miss it. And one of the problems in the modern church, it wasn't as much a long time ago, but this easy believism has crept into the church. It's where, look, it's not that tough. You know, you're, yeah, I know, you're, you're a sinner. You're not that bad. Um, pray this prayer after me. Just repeat these words, and you'll be fine. So many people think, well, I'm, I'm not so bad, but I am a sinner. I know that. And if I can just sort of add Jesus onto what I already have, we're really good. I get to go to heaven, and not that much changes. Um, you know, too many people have been told God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And now, repeat this prayer. You can look up, even under Wikipedia, they have a list of sinners' prayers from different churches and organizations. I'm going to read one. It's nothing wrong theologically, except it's not enough. Okay, Let me read it. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins. Right now I turn, my sins, turn from my sins and open the door of my life and heart. I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Amen. And then there's usually a smiling preacher that says, Congratulations, you're now a child of God. That's, it's painful. Statistically, this is a big part of, of modern church today. Uh, it'd be hard to sit here under Dan's preaching and, and, and miss this. But um, wherever the gospel's preached, there will be true and false conversions. Um, and false converts have a measure of spirituality. I can't tell the difference. In fact, uh, I'm going to give a little bit of my testimony kind of in, in installments this morning. The first part is I went forward in a church that had an uh, invitation. And I was about seven or eight years old, and I went forward with three or four friends. And I remember the pastor just saying some things. Before I knew it, we were baptized. And I spent a lot of years knowing that something's wrong. I'm not really saved. And, you know, churches had invitations a lot more, and I'd be gripping the back of the pew in front of me, just, someday I need to take care of this, but not yet. That was really what I did, a lot of not yets. And so I've told Dan that I was a Baptist before I was a Christian, and so that can happen. And I was good at fooling people, fooled my parents. 
fooled friends. I fooled. And I lived, where I lived, I went to school where there was no one else from my church there, and then I'd go to church. So I lived two different lives. And um, it's very easy to do. And um, so let's look at a couple of verses initially. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. And let me say, if you disagree or you have problems with what I'm saying or you want to talk more, let's talk. Just you buy the coffee and we'll sit down together and, and uh, go over. It's, this is too important to say not yet. Um, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Okay, look at those words, many and few. Um, some observations, there's only two gates. You know, the Baha'i and some other folks, oh, lots of ways to God, you know. Um, there's two. Two gates, two paths, two destinations and two groups of people, the saved and the non-saved. Um, you know, man's default condition uh, is that wide path, that wide gate. That's the way he's headed unless something happens. Um, you know, it's just statistically, there's fewer believers than non-believers. Take a second. Tillamook County has 27,000 residents. How many churches are there? I was trying to figure this out. Maybe 100. I mean, you start going through the numbers and you go, well, you're going to have to have 500 attendees in these churches. So not even that many are going to church, much less how many are really saved. The statistics aren't good. Um, Matthew 7, 21 23, just a few verses down. This is the scariest verse in the Bible for me, I think for most of us. The scariest verse. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Going on. Many will say, again, there's that word again. Many will say, to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Um, this is sobering. I mean, some of the observations from these verses, just stuff I see in you know, looking at them, is this is referring to professing Christians. Not the guy off the street or guy down at Freddy's or something. This is professing Christians, probably sitting in a church somewhere. Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things? Um, not all professing Christians are saved. And it says, many will say to me on that day. There's a lot of people in this group. Um, and they're pointing to their, you know, in this case, somewhat kind of remarkable works. No, didn't we? Didn't I? Cast out demons and prophesy. 
They're pointing to their works as the excuse or the reason why they're saved. And um, I mean, today, I mean, we could put it into different words. You know, Lord, didn't didn't we set up chairs in your name? You know, didn't didn't I raise my hands when we were singing? Lord, didn't I? Didn't we do this? Um, And he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. So it comes down to your relationship with Jesus. Um, this, another scary thing about that is they seemed surprised that they didn't make it in. Um, again, it was a rude awakening for, for many people. Let's look at another verse. Um, what I'm trying to do is not get people, please, those that are you know, genuinely saved, don't start doubting your salvation and go, oh, man, I'm, I'm in bad shape here. Um, the goal is to get you to look at it. At the end, we'll talk about, okay, what about other people? What, about, what should we do, the, those that are believe, believers? Let's look at the parable of the soils, Mark 4, starting in verse 3. Um, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen and it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Um, that's my old clock. I can't see that one very well. So, um, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell onto good soil, and they grew up and increased. They yielded a crop and produced 30 or 60 or 100 fold. If we look at this, we'll say, okay, there's four soils. Three cases, there was no fruit produced. One case, there was fruit produced. Different amounts you know, for different people. Uh, what was the intent of the sower? Fruit. Um, and so I struggled for years over whether, was it three groups that are saved or one group there that's saved? And I'm, I've come to believe and just see from Scripture that it's one group. Those that produced fruit. The um, Bible talks about you'll know them by their fruit. Um, and not everybody produces the same amount of fruit, 30, 60, or 100 fold. But good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, and they grow. It's expected. Remember they said that we're newborn babes, that we're, we've been born again. We are a new creation. So it's expected that new believers are going to grow. You know, little kids can't do math yet. You know, it's going to come, that comes later. They can't do a lot of things. Um, and it's always troubling. Why do some appear to be saved and then they don't? And I, it's a, it's a scary thing. I, we all have friends, family, and loved ones that 
that are not showing any fruit. And um, it's a tough one. What happens? Um, you ever touched an electric wire? If you, you can stand on a box, insulated, everything's dry, and you, you reach out and touch it, what happens? You won't die. You get, maybe get a little jolt. There's some body capacitance that'll accept current, but um, you don't die. If you put your feet in wet ground and touch that, um, it will be different. You know, in one, you, you get a feeling and you go, oh, wow, that was kind of cool. Um, you get a feeling, but nothing changes. Um, on the other, there's a changed life. Um, we'll talk about the grounded feet. Um, now, are there, are there two or more categories of Christians? Some people talk about, well, well, there's regular spiritual Christians and there's carnal Christians. One of the Campus Crusade flyers on the spirit-controlled life, spirit-filled life, or something, talked about carnal Christians, and I've heard people say, "Well, what's wrong with being a carnal Christian?" Um, there's this desire that I can be as close to the world as possible and still go to heaven. That's what I want to do, and I would say that attitude is probably not going to get you there. You're going to be in the the many. Um, you know, can I dance on the line and still, still have fun but, but go to heaven? That's what I want to do. Um, there are immature Christians, ones that are growing, but, um, you know, what's your trajectory? Where were you last year? Where are you this year? Where are you next year? Um, is, there, is there growth? Is there movement? Or is it, you know, are the thorns choking out? You know, and preventing any, any growth of, of uh, fruit. Let's go back to some verses. Um, looking at how is one really saved? How does this work? Uh, instead of getting it into a kind of a canned presentation, we've all seen those, and, and uh, it's not bad, but I just wanted to go through and read a bunch of verses and just kind of have it wash over you and... and you know, I'm not making this stuff up. It's, it's there. So start with Luke 10, Luke 19, 10. You know, Luke 19. In fact, I'm going to be going through a bunch of them pretty fast. So you may want to just write them down and, and listen. I would rather you listen than kind of find, you know, where's Zephaniah again? Um, <clears throat> Luke 19, 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's why Jesus came. He's not a great teacher, not to be a great teacher, a healer, um, an example that, we can, that shows us how to live. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That was his whole, his primary purpose. He did heal, he did teach. But um, John 14, 6 says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What I'm establishing is that salvation comes through Christ. Um, Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. 1 John 5.12, <clears throat> 1 
1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son, Son of God, does not have life. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is often referred to as the great exchange. I don't know if you've heard this term. Dan's referenced it. Um, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him, God made Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Um, you know, imagine... I'm wearing a dirty, stinky T-shirt. Sometimes I do. Um, and Jesus comes in with a bright, white, glowing T-shirt. He goes, hey, you want to trade? And that's really what happens. I, trade, I give him my dirty T-shirt full of sin. He gives me this gloriously white T-shirt. And then he paid the penalty for the dirty T-shirt. And God looks at me and he goes, wow. That looks kind of like Jesus' shirt, isn't it? Um, it's the exchange where all of a sudden, I'm no better, but I've, um, I've believed and received Jesus, and I have this T-shirt. I have his righteousness on me. I'm still working on my righteousness a little bit, you know, getting better, but I'm fully righteous before God now. There's, whenever we talk about salvation, there are two words that are critical, absolutely critical, repentance or repent and believe. And um, sometimes repent gets left off. Repent and believe. What does repentance mean? It's a complete change of orientation and a deliberate redirection for the future. You know, people say, well, it's like a U-turn. You go down the wrong road and you go, oh, my, I'm going the wrong way, and you turn and come back. That's what the, the basis of repentance. In Hebrew, it's interesting, the, um, it comes from the root, which means to return. Come back to where you should be. Um, so repent is to change. I mean, it's, what we're doing is we're learning to hate, God, hate sin as much as God hates it. Okay, believe. What does believe mean? It can mean lots of stuff. You're, you're aware of the, the verse in James about you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So are demons saved? No, they're not. Believe is, there's kind of a spectrum, but they have an intellectual assent. They know who God is. They know very well who God is. Um, but biblically, to believe it's not just to be convinced of something, but to fully trust in, to rely on, to cling to. Um, it's to trust in Christ alone as the only way to obtain eternal life with God. So the, I just think of the song, Trust and Obey. Those two go together. And John 3.36, a little bit after the 3.16, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So he's kind of, there's some equating here of uh, what happens, especially after somebody is saved, it's expected that there will be um, works. Uh, 
um, the trust and obey. That's part of the Okay, we're going to look at some verses that speak directly to salvation, examples of it going on in the New Testament. See, a lot of times you'll hear one out of here and one here. You know, Dan's going through books, and when he hits one, he hits it good and hard. But I'm going to try and just gather these and read all of them. I still had to thin it out because there are a lot, I promise you. Um, the big one, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is not belief like the demons do. This is relying and trusting and hanging on. Um, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Um, Acts 2, 37, 38. This is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Remember the... People were speaking in the, the languages of the Jews from all over the, the known world at the time and gathered a crowd, and Peter got up and preached. And after, after his sermon, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Another one, the Philippian jailer. Remember this? Paul and Silas are locked up in, in jail overnight. There's the state, I love the, the saying about, they sang hymns, you know. So sing in jail and pray for the jailer. So pray for the guy that's causing you trouble and sing through the trouble. So anyway, this is the Philippian jailer. There's the earthquake, and all the doors opened up. Uh, and he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. It says, You and your household. If I believe in Christ, does my household be saved? No. I'll go to the next verse. I included the... Um, and then they spoke the word to the they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night the jailer took them and washed their wounds, then immediately he and his and all his household were baptized. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Romans ten, nine and ten. You guys know these verses, I know, but I'm making you listen to them again. Um, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you, believe with, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Verse, Romans 10, 13. For everyone... Who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay. When I was talking about the wire, the electric wire, standing in the wet water, the puddle, is kind of repentance. Without repentance, there's really not a, a change that happens. When there's repentance, the electricity will go all the way through you and you will be changed. Um, you know, it's often said one must be lost before he can be saved. It's a tr 
trouble sometimes talking to church folks because, hey, I'm already saved. I don't have any problems. It's easier to talk to somebody that knows they're a sinner. So that's, that's part of that. That's the um, repentance. And second installment of my testimony. I made it through resisting uh, oh, invitations and, and other things. All these years, nobody knew that I wasn't saved. Um, I was good at faking it. I mean, that's terrible to say, but I was. And um, I was feeling more and more convicted. I knew something's, I gotta deal with this. And one, one evening, our youth pastor drove me home from some activity and he pulled into the driveway and I said, can we pray? I knew it was time. It was funny, I don't remember him saying a word. I knew, I had verses memorized. I knew all about salvation. And in his car, I prayed to accept Christ. I repented of my sin. I wanted to quit being a phony. I wanted to be the same on the inside that I was on the outside. And I prayed to receive Christ right then. And I knew it was genuine, no doubt. And the odd thing, I went inside and I was so excited, I told my mom, she's probably listening, um, she, she, but I told my mom, I said, I just got saved, I'm so excited. She goes, oh, no, 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 you were saved when you were about seven or eight, don't you remember? Um, and I had fooled her too. Um, it was so important to me to be the same on the inside as on the outside, that I was not living two lives. And... Um, Okay, what should we do? What should it, all of us do? Um, sometimes it's not inappropriate to say, well, am I really saved? Second um, Corinthians 13.5 says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? unless indeed you fail to test. Um, there is danger in people going around just, oh, I, I don't know if I'm saved or not. You know, they're, they're, they, they struggle with something they shouldn't be struggling with. Uh, let me read another one. This is, uh, this is from the communion passage, uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven to 29. Uh, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. Um, and he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge his body rightly. Um, and I was saved my senior year of high school, and um, six months later I was at a navigator training camp. It's a Christian organization, and I was at this camp all summer. We'd do some work in the morning for the camp and then um, have late afternoon and evening classes. So I was growing. I was just, it was just a wonderful time in my life. It's a lot of scripture memory. And I remember one evening, still getting stuck with doubts, like, what if I didn't do it right? 
What if I didn't really understand? What if, you know, and I remember going out by this lake under a big tree and sitting there and praying, and I came to, I just said, Lord, if I didn't understand back then, I understand right now very much what salvation means. And, you know, and I just said, I want, you know, I'm a sinner, you know, I repented, I want you to come into my life, I want you to be the Lord of my life, I want you to be the boss of my life. Um, and I remember that. Now, if any doubts come, I just point, remember that by the tree there, Satan? That's where I was, I know for sure I was saved. Don't, don't get me doubting, you know, what, what happened in that car and all this stuff. There's no question in my mind that I'm saved. There's a huge freedom in that. If you're doing this every third day, that's not good. Um, do it, and then when Satan tempts you, just point to that and say, Lord, I know I'm saved. Satan, get thee behind me, kind of a thing. Um, what are the signs of a true believer? Uh, it's interesting, you can say a normal believer. What is a normal Christian life? This is what God intended. This is normal. There's the average Christian, which may not be so normal. Um, but the normal Christian life. Um, first of all, fruit of the, the fruit of the Spirit. You know, remember, you'll know them by your, their fruits. Um, that you're bearing fruit. Uh, Mark, Matthew, uh, Matthew 3.8 says, Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You know, you're not saved, you know, if we look at the narrow gate, it's not works that get you through the gate, but once you're through the gate, there are works that will follow just naturally. I mean, it, um, fruit, I skipped a verse. It's one of the big ones. There, got it. Roger knows this one. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 plus 10. Okay. 2, 8 and 9 is, for the, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. Nothing you did. Nothing good about you. Um, it is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that anyone can boast. Then you go on to verse 10. Look at it carefully. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. What's that mean? It's almost like there are prescribed good works um, that we, he's got a list and you're just, you got a to-do list. And we're going through our to-do list. Um, So, signs of a true believer. There's fruit, something that can be seen. There's good works. Um, others, keeping short accounts with God, confessing sins. I think people that, sometimes the professor, the false professing Christian, is really not interested in confessing, in just keeping... Um, short accounts with God um, to where we, we really hate sin. 
as God does. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there's the short accounts. And there is a, it's kind of a, there is a test of time. It's kind of, I can't tell and judge people, but um, the, the seed that fell on the real thin rocky soil, sometimes it's on thin soil and it gets, it's warm. It gets heated by the sun and it just germinates quickly and then it dies. Um, I can't look at somebody and say, you're, I think you're probably saved, probably not saved. I, I don't want to be in that position. I, I thought maybe when I became an elder, they would give us elder glasses that let you identify it. But no, they didn't do that. You didn't get your set? <laughs> yeah, Roger got his. But, uh, <laughs> um, but there's a test of time. that uh, Sometimes people will fall away without really being rooted and staying plugged in. Um, and 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2, there's this continuous process. We have to understand that. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, past tense, in which you stand, present tense, and by which you are being saved, future tense, um, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Um, I like listening to testimonies, and I hear a lot, and it makes me nervous when I hear one about, oh yeah, I was, I was saved in youth camp, and I went forward or you know, did something, or I was saved with some friends at seven and eight years old. And then you, you just wait and you say, well, anything else? Um, that's an that's a uncomfortable testimony to me. I, I don't know what that is. Are you, are you bearing fruit? Are there good works? Are there keeping short accounts with God by confessing? There's the test of time. And ultimately, Jesus is to be Lord of our lives. It's um, who's the boss? It's like, okay, Jesus, I'm kind of busy now. Why don't you come back later? You know, no. Um, I heard somebody give an illustration I like. It was a guy I commuted with. It's like you're in a carpool with Jesus in your life now that you've accepted Christ. He's right there beside you all the time. And then one day he, kind of, he says, hey, won't you let me drive? No, no, Jesus, this is kind of a rough road. You better let me do it. Um, that's, what, that's what being the boss of your lives is. He is in control, okay? Um, now, what about other people? Okay, I wanted you guys to listen to it for yourself, to examine yourselves, uh, your own salvation. But there are those around us. We have a responsibility to other people. You've heard the illustration of, just going for a walk down the street and you see um, these guys sitting in their house and they're watching TV, you can see through the window, but in the back of the house there's a big fire growing. So what do you do? They go, oh, they're comfortable. They're 
probably not interested in anything changing or, you know, they want to finish their show, I'm sure. No. People's houses are on fire as we're walking around. Um, and it's hard to do. Um, and a lot of it is making sure that as you witness to people that they understand the repentance part of it. Uh, Ray Comfort gives the illustration of two people getting onto an airplane and the waitress, the, the flight attendant, man, I get that wrong. The flight attendant hands the first guy a parachute and they say, Why don't, you should probably put this on. It will make your flight more comfortable, and smoother, and you'll just like having it on. It'll, it'll give you a more pleasant flight. The guy puts it on and he's sitting there for a while and he goes, this is really not comfortable at all. And it looks like people are laughing at him because he's wearing a parachute on the airplane. And after a while, he just takes it off, sets it down. It doesn't, doesn't see the purpose of it. If the, the, the flight attendant gave this guy, a, a different guy, a parachute, and she goes, sometime during your flight, you're going to have to jump out. You know, uh, 25,000 feet. I would put that parachute on and hold it tight, you know, and, and no matter how silly you feel in front of other people, no matter how uncomfortable it is, you're not going to get that parachute away from the guy because he knows how important it is. See, sometimes people get saved not having any idea how important the relationship with Christ is. You know, he loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. He'll give you a better life. Um, maybe you'll have more money. You know, that's preached some places. So we need to make sure as we share the gospel that we share the full gospel, the rough edges. Um, okay. I like what Sean said. He was here a few weeks back. My, my intention is to put a rock in your shoe um, to make you a little bit uncomfortable. If there's there's a salvation issue, if there's a sharing issue with people, if there's a doubt issue or something like that. <clears throat> Got this rock in your shoe that's going to bother you and it will not go away. That's my goal. Um, and if it troubles your sleep, I'll pray for that, that it will make you uncomfortable, that anything it takes to bring you so you absolutely know for sure that you're saved. And it's so, there, there's nothing else more important. You know, the guy that invented penicillin or Donald Trump or Joe Biden or who's that other? Taylor Swift or, or somebody, you know, none of this matters. They're going to have to be come to the Lord or they're not going to heaven. I mean, it's, this is critical for every single person. And, um, so, just remember, don't let your first step into eternity be a rude awakening. I can't imagine anything more terrifying than to, well, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? You know, um, I never knew you. So, let's pray. Lord, I, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for the, the gift of salvation, Lord. 
I pray that you would not let us ignore or denigrate your great salvation, Lord. I pray that that would be, our relationship with you would be number one in our lives, Lord, that it would be appropriate for the seriousness of, of, of our final days, Lord. I pray that you would, again, Lord, that you would just, if there are things we need to deal with, Lord, that you would trouble our sleep, you would make us uncomfortable, you'd feel the rock in the shoe, Lord, and that we would take care of it, Lord. Um, none of this not yet stuff that I did for so many years. Um, again, Lord, we ask all of these things in your mighty name. Amen.